worth spending a moment just reviewing where these values came from. So back in 2005, yes, some of you were alive then, um, 2005 seems like a long time ago, but was the transition at Granville between Tim McIntosh, uh, our first pastor, uh, and uh, my beginning in 2006. And during that time, Brent Dolfo, is, who is a church consultant, uh, he came to us and worked with a whole group of us, I think there were about 40 from the congregation, uh, who spent a number of evenings and consecutive weeks going over the history of Granville, uh, the salient points of that history, uh, and trying to figure out what our vision was collectively and what our values were. And the values that we came up with uh, were then run past the whole of the congregation uh, with the question, did we get this right? And there was affirmation from the whole congregation with a feedback process that, yeah, actually, this, this speaks to us. This tells us uh, who we are and what we hold most dear. So uh, the values, here they are, uh, being Christ-centered, uh, being spirit-led, uh, we value the Bible, we value prayer, we value loving one another, uh, we value living transformed lives, uh, we, we value unity in diversity, and we value service. And uh, so we're going to be spending the next few weeks looking at them uh, and trying to figure out exactly what we mean by them. So perhaps a, a question might uh, arise for you, like what are values? Well, I look on the, uh, on the web and uh, gosh, there's lots on the web about values. But I kind of like this. This is from uh, a guy called Tim Sinova. He's the COO of Fractured Atlas. Never heard of him, but there you go. But he had an interesting article about values. And he said this, behavioral values are internal and about the how. How you behave every day as you pursue your mission and run your business. Well, I thought, well, that's kind of helpful. So it, these, these values are internal at some level, uh, but they dictate how we actually behave. But then he went on to say, and this was perhaps a little more distressing, that simply having values written down is no guarantee that they will be lived out. I mean, you can, you can put what you like on a piece of paper, but the relevance uh, to, to real life is not always apparent. Uh, he actually cited the list of values of Enron, uh, and they were about integrity and all that kind of stuff. And then he pointed out that it didn't have a fat lot of good uh, when it came down to a corporate culture uh, that uh, saw the company tank after all kinds of wrongdoing. So uh, not too reassuring there on that piece, but all the more reason for us as a community to come back after a period of time uh, and look at these values and say, well, are we actually living compliant with these? Uh, or is these just a, a bunch of pipe dreams that we hold out there and have no relevance to our life as community? So this morning, we're actually going to be looking at the first two of these uh, values. Uh, and the first one is being Christ-centered. And what we say about this uh, is that we pursue Jesus Christ as the model for our lives and the focus of our worship. Oh, and it's probably just worth saying at this point uh, that uh, not only did the whole church embrace these as our values, but we also, uh, whenever new members join us, we get them to sign off 
uh, on these values. So if you're a member here, you have signed off on these, uh, and so this is an opportunity to just refresh your memory uh, and uh, help you understand what we think we mean by these values. So, I hope that it comes as no surprise to find that we as a Christian faith community have a key value expressed in this way. We are thoroughly Trinitarian, uh, and it's probably worth underlining that because a couple of our people this week uh, were looking up Granville Chapel on the internet and found a heading that said, Granville Chapel Unitarian Church. Uh, we're trying to get that dealt with. I don't know where that's come from. It's all a bit strange. But we are not Unitarian. We are Trinitarian. And we are Trinitarian, which means that we believe that there is one God, but He expresses Himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the, the New Testament in many passages, not just the Colossians text we're looking at this morning, shows us that Jesus is the place we need to look to understand the Father. And of course, we know that no one has seen the Father. Jesus told us that. But the Son has made Him known. So Colossians is the text we're looking at. And Paul starts off this purple passage, if you like, about Jesus by telling us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Professor Fred Bruce noted this, to say that Christ is the image of God is to say that in Him, the nature and being of God have been perfectly revealed. In John 14, verse 9, Jesus told Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And Jesus clearly understood that his job was to make the Father known. A number of, this, a number of us this week were privileged uh, to head down to Westside Church to hear N.T. Wright's public lecture. And uh, one of the things that he mentioned, he, he mentioned many things, and uh, that was all good, rich, and deep. Uh, but one of the things he reminded us of was that Genesis 1, in some ways, is uh, like the construction of a temple. God is building something uh, that He is going to complete by putting in an image. The image being the man and woman made in His image. And uh, this understanding of Genesis 1 as a the completion of a temple uh, is certainly an interesting one, but when we read the words uh, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, uh, inevitably our minds flip or should flip to that image and that the way that humanity is made in God's image in Genesis 1. And David Sason, uh, preaching for us a couple of weeks ago, uh, reminded us that God's work of creation, in a sense, is completed in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, who, by going through death, builds a new temple, which is actually the community of His followers, that unites heaven and earth. 
and that there is a great kind of completion around this sense of image. But in this passage, Paul is only just getting going on his mission to exalt Jesus by saying that he's the image of the invisible God. Because he goes on to say he is the firstborn over all creation. Now, this does not mean that he is the first being created, but rather that as he existed before all things, he has the right of the firstborn over them all. And Paul goes on to explain that Jesus is the one who created everything. Everything in heaven and on earth, be it visible or invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities. Everything you can possibly imagine was created by Jesus and for Jesus. He is therefore before all things, and in Him, everything holds together. We might say that He is the center that holds heaven and earth together. So Paul is waxing lyrical here about who Jesus is and has painted a picture of Jesus as the great creator. But that's not all he is, because Paul wants to go on to say he is also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he may have the supremacy. So here Paul is saying that Jesus' greatest work was accomplished when, having lived with all God's fullness inhabiting him, he reconciled everything to himself by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Well, this is profound stuff. What Paul is saying here is that Jesus stands far above any other contender. There's no one in his league. No one is like him, speaking the world, the creation, the universe into being, coming into that creation and laying down his life in order to reconcile that creation back to God the Father. Jesus is preeminent. So, when we say as a community that we want to put Jesus high, we're on the right track. We have no intention of losing sight of Jesus. We see him as the model for our lives, showing us how to live in relationship with and dependence on the Father. He is also, with the Father, the object of our worship. Jesus is the one who has pursued us when we were lost and afraid. And he is the one who brings us back home with rejoicing, just like the lost sheep in the story he told. We love him because he first loved us. And he has blessed us with new life, new hope, and new joy. To worship is to give God and Jesus, the best of all we are and have, laying down our old lives of self-interest and self-sufficiency and receiving in exchange a new life. So we must never stray too far 
from the mystery of the cross or the reality of the resurrection. And that means focusing on Jesus. If that's the first of our values, the second is not too far removed from that in some ways because we say we want to be spirit-led. We depend on God's Holy Spirit to guide, transform, equip, fill, and empower us for Christian living. Now, this is a value for us because the first followers of Jesus were given very careful instructions by Jesus about the person and work of the Spirit, and His instructions remain operational. In our reading this morning, we've heard from John chapter 14, and that was the discourse that Jesus spoke as He was preparing for His arrest and betrayal. And He told the disciples clearly about His plans for them. Knowing that He would be leaving, He told them that He would ask the Father to send another counselor who would be with them forever. Now, Jesus was preparing for His death and resurrection and His ascension when He would leave to take His seat in the throne room of heaven, the control room of the universe. So He wouldn't be physically present with them, but He didn't plan for them to be left alone. Instead, He would send them the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, who would be with them. Now, here's the thing about the Trinity. They are united in love and in purpose. They have different roles and functions, but they're totally united. So the coming of the Spirit would mean that they would not be left alone by Jesus. He would be with them in His Spirit. They would actually be filled up with the Spirit, who Jesus describes as the Spirit of truth. And then later on in that same chapter 14, Jesus goes on to promise that the Counselor would teach His followers all things and would remind them of the things that Jesus had taught them. So Jesus knew that His followers would have short memories and poor memories. I think that's probably why we were given Scripture. But the Holy Spirit comes along, and as we go through our lives and meet struggles and challenges, it's the Holy Spirit who's in us who gives us nudges and goes, remember what Jesus told you? Didn't He tell you that stuff? Remember, look at that passage. Think about that. It's for you. So the Holy Spirit's a teacher, and He comes to us and He helps us, and He reminds us of the teaching of Jesus. If we want to know more about the Holy Spirit, we have to go to the book of Acts. Because Acts is the place where we see the full impact of the Holy Spirit's coming after Jesus' ascension. The day of Pentecost was that great day when the Spirit of God was poured out on the early church, transforming them from frightened fugitives into bold proclaimers of the good news about Jesus. With the fire of the Holy Spirit burning in their hearts and on their heads, uh, they unleashed the great missionary expansion of the church. Their dependence on the Holy Spirit led them to break 
with some of their most cherished Jewish laws and traditions, to cross over from the Jewish world to the Samaritan world, and then on to the Gentile world, and to discover the full implications of what it meant to be Jesus' witnesses to the ends of the earth. We stand in that tradition this morning. Why are we sending the Pashias off to Thailand? Because Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses, and you'll go to the ends of the earth with the good news. And so we stand in that tradition of the church going out into the world, proclaiming the good news, fired up by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. If you're ever short of reading material, just go back and read the book of Acts. In our DNA group, we've been reading through Acts this last month. I love the book of Acts. It's exciting, it's challenging, and it makes us wonder how we can possibly manage to do it without the Spirit. We're dreaming if we think we can. I don't have time this morning to trace out all the implications of what it means to be led individually and corporately by the Spirit of God. But I do want to remind us all that the normal state of Christians in Scripture is to be filled with the Spirit. Remember Paul in Ephesians 5.18 saying, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And the sense there is, go on being filled. Think about hot air balloons. I've often thought a hot air balloon is a wonderful image for us of what it actually takes to live lives filled with the Spirit. Hot air balloons are made for flight. And in order to fly, they need to be filled up with hot air, which inflates them. And then they need to be released into the power of the wind in order to make progress. That's not bad, is it? Filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit. Unfortunately, when we think about hot air balloons, we often think about the crashes. And when the crashes come, they're not pretty. And around the church, there are stories. Stories of people who get overheated with the spirit and disappear into the stratosphere. Others who hit power lines and crash. And it's not pretty. And what that's led to in many circles of the church is a kind of fear of the Holy Spirit. Like, oh, we don't get any near, anywhere near that stuff. We might crash. True, you might crash. But the alternative is to stay on the ground. And we were not made to stay on the ground. We were made for flight. We were made for the Spirit to fill our hearts with the love and the passion and the presence of Jesus. We were made to progress led by the Spirit. And so when we see the pictures of the crashes, rather than saying, avoid 
the air like the plague. We should be reminded as his people, Spirit of God, we need you. Come fill me again. The reality is, like hot air balloons, we all leak the Spirit. We're broken people. We have a tendency to grieve the Spirit. We do wrong stuff. And then we discover our lives are powerless. And we need to come back in repentance. We need to admit that we've grieved Him. And we need to come back to Him humbly. We need to ask Him to fill us again. Because He's a gracious God and a kind God and who knows how we are made, He breathes on us again afresh by His Spirit and restores our flight and says, get going again. Go on. Go where I want to lead you. Find my power. Find my presence. Come back to your first love. Come back to my ability to lead you into good places. I love being around where the Spirit of God is around. I don't know about you. I was playing soccer on Friday afternoon. I love to do that. And I spoke with one of my fellow soccer players. Man, I don't know really well. And he was telling me he had just been over to the wedding of his daughter in, uh, in England. And uh, he had spent a lot of time thinking about the speech that he knew he would need to make at the, uh, at the reception. And he thought about all the things he'd done for his daughter, all the stuff that every dad would do for his daughter. Got her through her education, helped her, encouraged her. But as he thought about it, he, he realized that the thing that was really important for him was the prayer time he had with his daughter and the way that he was able to lead her to the presence of Jesus. Anyway, he got up and he did his speech. And after his speech, a number of the crew who were serving the reception, about six of them came up to him and said, Tell us about Jesus. Tell us. Tell us how, how that can be. We haven't heard this before. And I can only believe that in that reception, you know, the Spirit of God showed up. Because those people who were serving, they were just doing their job, heard a father's love for his daughter and made the connection from that which he made to the Heavenly Father's love for us. And in hearing that, something woke in their hearts, something called out to them that the Father loves them and cares for them. That's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God makes Jesus known. The Spirit of God breaks people's hearts with hunger for God and His presence. I love that. Don't you love that? How are we doing as a church with these values? Well, I hope that we haven't lost sight of Jesus here. Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is wonderful. Jesus fills heaven. He's the King of kings. And the day is coming when his full reign will break out on planet earth, when every knee will bow before him. 
It's going to be a wonderful day. We're looking forward to that day. So individually, are our lives Christ-centered? Have we, have we had that glimpse of that, that sense of who He really is? Because that, that gives us direction and purpose. Am I praying? Am I seeking His face? Am I asking Him to live His life through me? Is my life full of the Spirit? open to his leading, obedient to his instruction? Or is my life a bit more like that at the moment? A bit of a train wreck. The power lines have nailed me. I just want to encourage us this morning. Jesus is gracious and merciful. He loves us. He longs for us to be up and running again, flying, filled with his Spirit. Here's a moment where we can turn again, turn back to Him, invite Him back to fill us, to fill the center of our hearts, and to remind us that we're His children and that we're deeply loved. I want to finish this morning with a, a song, which is a prayer. Fill me with your spirit, Father. Don't leave me here to die. Enter every part of me so that I may fly. Unleash the cords that keep me down on the ground and let me explore the sky. My natural intention is to stay where I am, close to the earth and not near the sun. I'm dead scared of storms. And what if the wind gets too strong? I know it's easy to fly if you're a bird of the air, soaring up there like a gull. I've no doubt in mind that I want to be there. Help me, help me, O oh Lord, to be full of you. Fill me with your spirit, Father. Don't leave me here to die. Enter every part of me so that I may fly. Unleash the cords that keep me down on the ground and let me explore the sky. Amen. The worship team is going to come up and going to lead us. And may that be our prayer this morning, that the Spirit of God would fill our hearts again and renew us as His people. As we sing, we're going to stand, and I'm going to invite our prayer ministry team to come up. Uh, there's an opportunity here to receive prayer. I know some of you have had really hard weeks. This is the time to come and be prayed for, to pray for a refilling uh, of the Spirit of Jesus in your heart, and for uh, Him to console.